Amen. And thank you, Tim and Jess and Joe. One of the things that is an enjoyable part of being your pastor is the exchanges and dialogue that takes place uh, as we leave each uh, uh, Sunday and even through the course of the week. I think most of you recognize that my uh, final point of last week's sermon was to try to see the analogy between uh, the sight of Adam and the sight of our Lord Jesus Christ, one the, the source of the life of the bride and the other the source of redemption of the bride. And we often speak of God's providence here. You know, we, we don't talk about luck, do we? We talk about the sovereign providence of an almighty God. And in God's providence, long before Joe Dumas met me, God moved upon his heart to write a song uh, that reflected upon and really enhanced what I was trying to say to you uh, last week. So thank you uh, to all uh, involved. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. We're going to read verses 15 through 17 in our observation and our celebration, particularly of, of Father's Day. And I am thankful uh, to be a father uh, and now to be even a grandfather. Uh, what a blessing uh, it is. Uh, the, the, in, the, in the wisdom and in the providence of God uh, to entrust uh, these precious lives uh, to me. And so um, this morning, as we continue uh, our series, and uh, as my, you know, my sermons, there's, there's kind of phenomenon with my sermons. They never shrink. They only grow. I, I don't know what it is about my sermons. Uh, you know, they, 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 they just grow. And so uh, it was my intention originally to end our series today. Uh, but in the course of the week, uh, some, some things came uh, to me. And, and so we're going to continue uh, next week uh, with this uh, theme of, of the husband as the prophet, priest, and king. So this morning I want to dive a little deeper into the truths through which we may reverse the curse through our appreciation and our implementation of the gospel in our lives and in our world, but most particularly in our homes. We have examined the implications of the curse and we recognize them and have all experienced and observed these implications. We either know personally or by way of observation pain in childbearing, domestic disorder, difficulty in providing a livelihood, and the looming specter of certain death. We must be clear that through the gospel, we are delivered from the curse and the penalty of sin. We are, we are born again and we are forgiven. However, even for the redeemed and the regenerate, sin is still a particularly perplexing, even a perennial problem. I believe there are gospel promises and principles that certainly can mitigate the dreaded and destructive effects of living in our sin-scarred and sin-cursed world. So let's continue uh, to think about the essential family and our hope and our, our practice, our implementation of the gospel uh, to 
reverse the curse. Read with me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we have of gathering as your people. How important that is for us to gather to hear your word and to say back to you that which you deserve to hear from those you have redeemed. I, I pray that uh, you have been honored by what has been said to you and said about you. And today, that as we preach your word, that your truth would be accurately communicated. And Lord, uh, that for those that are frustrated and discouraged, that it would be a word of encouragement. Uh, for those that have become lax, it would be a word of conviction. That, that your word of truth would be that which your spirit would use, would work deeply into our lives, that we would live for your glory and live in a way that is conducive to uh, the advance of your kingdom. Uh, we ask your blessings on this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll call your attention to the title of the series, The Essential Family. The word essential. That is of the essence. That the family is of the essence of that which God has designed for our well-being. In fact, God's design of the man and the woman, of male and female, is with a particular view toward the creation of the family. And so the family is essential. And again, by family... We don't mean whatever the culture is currently defining for itself as family. We're talking about that which God has defined as, as, as a family. Namely, a man and a woman living together until death do them part. Again, with the enjoyment normally of the pleasure of children. And so, as we think about this today, and if I haven't offended you yet, We'll buckle up. Here it comes. But I want us to think about the husband as the one that God has called to the, to the realm of the family to function within that family as indeed the prophet, the priest, and the king for uh, that family. And so there were indeed three offices essential to the continuity of the Old Covenant. The, those offices were that of the prophet, the priest, and the king. The prophet was to speak God's message to the people. The priest was to intercede for the people. And the king was to rule over the people. The Old Testament is filled with testimonies of the varying successes and failures of the scores of men who held these offices over the centuries. One of the 
themes of reformed, that is, biblical theology, is the understanding and the emphasis that Jesus is the ultimate, the, the perfect, the effective prophet, priest, and king. He is the only one that both unites the three distinct offices and perfectly performs the duties of each office. The duties assigned to Adam in Genesis 1 through 3 foreshadow and typify the codifying of the offices under the old covenant as well as their perfection in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Long before there was an old covenant, there was a man created for and assigned to carry out the duties of prophet, priest, and king over the entirety of the created order with a special emphasis given to the duties as they pertain to his wife and later to his children. Now, you might want to quibble about the, this application of these titles, prophet, priest, king. Here's the thing, you certainly can't argue that these offices don't inform us as to how a man is to lead his family. So let's examine this morning how husbands and even the young men who aren't currently husbands can be training to be competent as prophets and priests and kings over the most important of realms, their homes. Now, if you'll remember, we began the series looking back at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, and we see uh, the, the introduction of the male and female uh, image bearers. They were peculiarly designed, particularly designed uh, by God. And they were given this assignment to both fill the earth and in filling the earth to, to take authority over the earth, to have uh, dominion. Uh, they were uh, to uh, exercise a regency as king and queen over God's uh, created order. And as the story unfolds in Genesis 1 through 3, we find in verse 15, the text we read, the assignment given to the man there in uh, verse 15, that God places him in the garden. Now, I don't have time to develop this, but you can do some extra outside the classroom reading if you, if you like. But there are many parallels between Eden as paradise and as a sanctuary and the development, the creation, the utilization of the tabernacle under the old covenant, okay? And so one, again, informs uh, the other. And so God placed the man in paradise, in the garden that was in Eden, and I've called your attention to the two words there, to work it and keep it. Now, those, like a lot of Hebrew words, there's kind of a range of translation, and the, the word work, uh, abode or abide, it, it can mean to guard, it can mean to work, and even carries connotations of worship. And again, the, uh, the other word, sh shamar, uh, has to do with keeping, uh, keeping things in place, keeping order. And it's the words used to describe that which the Levitical priest did, did in the context of the tabernacle, okay? And so Adam is a 
priest assigned to the tabernacle, uh, the, the garden, to manage it, to keep it, to, to keep it uh, in order, and to utilize it uh, for the good of, him, of himself, uh, for his wife, and for those that would uh, come after him. And so we see also in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, and he communicated uh, truth to him, and, and we have made the case that this is really a covenant of works. That is, you keep this covenant, you do the works that I have commanded, and you will live. And he betrayed God, betrayed his family, betrayed his office, violated the covenant, and sin and death invaded our realm. And we live with the consequences and the curse of the first Adam's failure. And to be sure, he was given God's Word not to keep it for himself, but to communicate it to others. Namely, his wife, he was to be a prophet to speak the Word of God to his family. That's what prophets did. They spoke the Word of God. And so, we can see he is a king, he is a, a priest, and he is a prophet. And it's kind of interesting. One of the most colorful words that we find in the Bible is the word shepherd. In fact, the word pastor really is, is a word that is a translation of the Greek poimen, which is the Greek for shepherd. In other words, a, a pastor is assigned to shepherd a flock. But I want to say to you that the concept of a shepherd is a concept with implications for each and every person that has any sense of authority, any position of authority in any realm, that your assignment is to shepherd those entrusted to your care. And to be sure, please hear me, in whatever the realm is, and, and again, before anybody goes off the rails, we're not talking about husbands as autonomous kings. We're talking about husbands as client kings, kings who will give an account to the ultimate king. We are under shepherds, tending to the flock, the family that God has entrusted to us. We shepherd as those who will give an account to the chief shepherd for the glory of the chief shepherd, for the good of his sheep. Okay? So we want to be sure we get, get that picture and we get it, we get it uh, clearly. And so, yeah, <laughs> it seems like every week I have to make the comment, yeah, I know I'm out of, out of touch with all the things going on in the culture. I don't have a clue who this person, that person, what that movie is, what that... I, and again, joyfully and blissfully so. And, and, and I realize how much I, I am a fossil. I'm a relic. And so these words, prophet, priest, and king, these titles, these terms, they may seem a bit archaic and maybe a little bit artificial for our day. I get it. I'm sure there's somebody saying, ain't nobody going to rule over me. I don't need no prophet. I'm I'm. I'm, I'm Preacher the believer, you know, preacher. Yeah. I don't need a prophet. I don't need a priest. I don't need a king. Well, you have all three. 
if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the perfect one who is the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And I believe, I believe that we should think of those that function, that hold the office of husband and father, that we should see them as those that indeed are prophet, priests, and kings within their homes. So I'm going to reverse the order. I want to look at the concept, at the role of the king, the husband as the king over his realm, over his home, okay? So you need to understand Jesus is, Jesus is, present tense, Jesus is the promised perfect king who rules and reigns with particular respect to, to in, the, in the hearts of believers. We understand that. But as we made the case for a number of times in our uh, uh, Bible studies during VBS, Jesus is currently the king who is ruling and reigning. Okay? Let me tell you something. You say, no, no, no. He my king. Yeah, he is. Whether you like it or not. Uh, he may not be very happy with you which is something you ought to be thinking very, very seriously about. But he is the king, and he is the one to whom you will give an account. And so, he is our conquering warrior king. So, to rule God's way, to rule your home God's way, is first and foremost to rule to the glory of God. Once we've established that as a goal, we are prepared to discern and practice how to rule our homes for the ultimate good of our families, for the good of the watching world, and the good of the church. So what do kings do? They rule. They rule. Yeah, they, they establish policies and procedures. You know, in the business world, if you want to start a business, particularly if you want to get financing from any outside source, you have to write what's called a business plan. It has all kind of aspects to it, but, but here's what I want to do in, in, in founding and establishing and cultivating this business. This is what my goal is, and this is how it's going to make money. And what financiers are really interested in, this is how I'm going to pay the money back. Yeah, just, just in case you're concerned about that. And so as one who rules, what is your business plan for the home? What are your goals for, for your home? What, what are you going to accomplish in the realm that is your home? You must lead it toward these well-stated, well-articulated goals and policies that, that, again, reflect the ultimate priority of pleasing the one to whom, the king to whom we will all give an account. One of the things that you're going to have to distinguish is that which is ultimate, will stand the test of fire, will, will be praised for all of eternity, and that which is in the language of Solomon from Ecclesiastes is vanity. It's pointless, meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. The accomplishment of your children in the academic world, in the athletic world, in the whatever the extracurricular activity is you're obsessed with today, tomorrow, the next day, will not matter in a hundred years. 
But let me tell you what will matter. It's whether or not you've introduced them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's ultimate. Everything else is vanity. Now, you've heard me comment on this. Without Christ, everything is vanity. Nothing has meaning or purpose. And thank God, with Christ, everything, everything, everything can be done to the glory of God. And so the king rules, and he protects from the enemies that are on the outside and the enemies that are on the inside. Protect against the enemies that would do physical harm. Now let me tell you something. If I were to, upon leaving this service today, if I were to threaten a family member, there are many husbands here that would die to ensure I did no harm to their family. Maybe all, all of the husbands here. And that is the right and appropriate thing, that, that a king is willing to protect, even at the cost of his life, his family that's entrusted to him. But it's not only physical harm, those that would do moral and spiritual harm. If you're not on the alert, if you're not protecting your realm from the assaults, from the subtle seductiveness that is designed in our culture by Satan himself, your realm is going to suffer defeat. It's going to, it's going to suffer destruction. You know, I think sometimes I am beyond shock. I mean, you know, I've kind of seen it and heard it all at some level, unfortunately. And then I heard news reports this week of an episode that demonstrates the moral insanity of our current age, of, of these um, uh, social radicals as they invited the whole alphabet soup of those who would rebel against God. Hey, come to the White House. We can see how it goes. We'll enjoy each other. And one of the most perverse individuals around does one of the most morally perverse acts right there on the White House lawn. And, you know, I, and I don't mean to be off color, okay? It, it's strange to me that we have people within our culture, the, the, these, these radical liberals, progressives, whatever you want to call them, that they want to expose children to, to things that even now, if you're an adult or approaching adulthood, you would have to show your driver's license to see you're old enough to come in and observe whatever perverse behavior is on display in a particular venue, to kind of get what I'm talking about. But yet, we ought to be doing it in public schools and public libraries and in public parades and all this nonsense. That just doesn't compute. That just doesn't work. And I'm telling you, kings and queens, they are coming for your children and your grandchildren. If you don't think they are, you're not paying attention. They want them. 
Okay? And so, kings protect their realm. This being VBS week, and <laughs> one of our young ladies, I'll expect a tip after church. One of our young ladies walked up to me, said, you look tired. It's VBS week. What do you think? I mean, goodness, yeah. And, and then my grandchildren from Kentucky came in Wednesday night. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I, I may cramp up up here. I may need an IV fluid before I leave this morning. But it being VBS week, I, I, I'm always reminded. And one of our young men came in Sunday night and told me about a particular mega church in our area and said, hey, you know, over there, they're telling everybody, we had 138 children make decisions or ask Jesus into their heart or all this. How many times? I know you're tired of hearing it. But we have created a spiritual disaster in my lifetime. Now, folks, I, I can back all of this up with the Bible, and I've been watching this and experiencing it since I was 10 years old because I was one of them. I signed my card at camp at 10 years old, okay? And I got baptized at 10 years old, and I was lost as one of the golf balls I hit last week, okay? And, and, and this young man and I kind of just, I, I'm, I'm not, I can't even get into it this morning. The countless ways that it confuses kids. Now, to be sure, kids get get all this bad information, and they ask Jesus in their heart, and some of them are saved, okay? I'm not, I'm not arguing that. I went to Beeson Divinity School. When he found out I was attending Philadelphia Baptist Church, he said, man, I became a Christian at VBS, at, at Vacation Bible School there at Philadelphia Baptist Church. So he's a pastor now. I mean, it happens. But just from what I've observed, if half of them are actually born again, it would be an excessively large number. And yet, they, we've told them, or they told them, you're saved, don't doubt it. Let me sign your Bible, go out in the backyard and drive a stake in the ground. Go out and look at that stake if you ever doubt you're a Christian. That stake's testimony, you're really a Christian. And kings, probably some of you have children or grandchildren that are victims of that great scheme. Somebody somewhere along the line told them, you did this, now you're a Christian, and they have no interest in things of God. They have zero. They, they don't lead their families in any, any sense of biblical uh, wisdom. They, they have no interest in the Bible. They have no interest in the gathering. And at the very least, you need to warn them. If, 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 if what you're going to say on the day you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ is I did this at vacation Bible school or children's camp or youth camp or youth retreat or you name it, you're in serious trouble. If that's all you got, if that's all you're bringing to the table is I made a decision one time and the result is not a life manifesting fruit Kings, defend your realm. King rules, he protects, he provides, he looks out to the welfare of his subjects. The shepherd 
leads the sheep beside the quiet waters into the green pastures. He makes sure those sheep are well cared for. He, you, shepherds, you can't delegate. Hey, I'm going to let somebody else take those sheep out today. I'm going to go do whatever. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it's one-to-one. It's man-to-man. You got to do it. You, look, you, look, you shepherd for the welfare of your sheep. Just to help us get our minds around this, in the Old Testament, there's several things that address the issue of kings. In Deuteronomy 17, 14, Moses points out, basically, Israel, one day you're, you're going to want a king. Here's the type of guy you need to look for. He doesn't need to acquire many horses. He doesn't need to be obsessed with, with wealth, uh, not have many wives. He doesn't need to be obsessed with sensuality. Again, not excessive silver or gold. He shall write for himself a copy of the law, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord. There's one to whom he will give an account. A lot of discussions going on, relationship to God's law, civil government, where we are. In 1644, a pastor by the name of Samuel Rutherford wrote a book, Lex Rex. The concept was this. Previously, basically, the king was the law. Whatever the king did was right because he was the king. Lex Rex reversed that, that the king himself is subject to the law. Well, let me be sure you understand this. Whether the king knows it or not, he's subject to God's law. And even if you're not a king, you're subject to God's law. And so, again, the king is to understand he will give an account for his kingship in terms of God's law. Know that law. And here's the tragedy. In the book of Judges, you see this threefold reputation. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Kings, kings, if you fail to function as a king, everyone in your family will do what's right in their own eyes. Do you follow the problem? Do you see that? Okay. And we see, of course, the countless occasions of the failure of the king. Simply put, Jesus said it this way, to whom much is given, much is required. Sobering thing. Rule your realm biblically. Let's look at the second office, that of uh, the priest. Again, to be sure, Jesus is our perfect high priest who has offered the perfect sacrifice and lives to intercede for us on the basis of that effective sacrifice. We live in the full knowledge and the full experience of the gospel. We really do rest in that truth of that final, effective, atoning sacrifice offered by our perfect, complete, effective high priest when he said, it is finished, guess what? It was one of the things we did with our youth, our our children. Several times I, I, I... I made the case, and we, we, we talked about the atoning work of Christ there in Jerusalem. And I asked them about, are you going to bring a sheep or a goat or a bull or a turtle dove to church on Sunday so that we may slaughter it here on the altar? That's what they did when they went to church in the Old Testament every week. Bring a sacrifice, bring a sacrifice, bring a sacrifice. 
anticipating the effective sacrifice. You no longer bring a sacrifice because it is finished. There was an effective sacrifice on our behalf, and we need to live in view of that. But the priest, part of their work was to intercede, to intercede on the basis of Christ's finished work. We, we look back to one of the Old Testament saints, the, the Saint Job, and we find there in chapter 1 that he offered sacrifices for his children uh, all the time, uh, uh, continually, just in case they sinned. And sin, their sin needed to be atoned for. We need to be constant interceders for our families. And we must lead them to worship and lead them in worship. To worship the right God in the right way. And again, that's why fathers and families are worshiping together in this sanctuary here today. Because we want the priest of the family to effectively, not just on Sunday morning. That's not just a one and done, you know, one day of the week type. Well, I did my finger, my kid, he came to church, and, you know, that's almost as bad. Well, I dropped him off at the front door. But no, you lead them so they can see you worship and then worship daily within the home. Again, the right place at the right time. In fact, you know, I can't tell you, my, my oldest granddaughter kind of called me on the carpet this morning before she left. It's, yeah, you don't want to know. But, uh, you know, children sometimes, <laughs> they get your goats, don't they? They, 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 they? they hold you accountable, don't you? How I would love for our children when the family makes the choice, well, we're not going to go to church today. We, we've, there, there's, there, we, we just got other stuff going on. Whatever, Base, baseball, whatever, you, know, you name it. Soccer, band, whatever. What you going to say when a child says to you, Daddy, why is, it, why is what we're doing right now more important than what we would do if we were at church as a family worshiping God, Can, I, I, won't, I, I don't be a little bit of an uncomfortable conversation. Or maybe the other way, Daddy, you don't come to church normally. Can you explain to me why what you're doing by not going to church is more important than what we're doing by going to church? I, I'm, I'm just I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, Daddy. I'm just, I just like an explanation. I just like an explanation of why that, 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 that and here's, here's the thing about my generation, us baby boomers, we did good music. You, know, you, know, you always remember the baby boomers because we, we had good music, everybody else, questionable. But here's what we watched. The nominal churchiness of the generation before us and they came home, and they act, you name the category, but they acted in ways contrary to what had, they had heard in church. I mean, it may have been the way the husband and wife interacted. It may have been the way the husband and wife treated the children. It may have been the way the, 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 the adults treated other people in the community. It may have been something like racism. 
Well, you, 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 you said we're all image bearers, and we, we sang Jesus loves little children, and, and, and you talked about people that don't look exactly like me. We don't even talk to the dog like that. I mean, you name it. But my generation looked at that and said, nah, if it's a game, I ain't playing. We'll go do something else. And we lost that generation. And you add to that, they all asked Jesus into their heart before they left the church. Okay? So they're good. They're, they're good to go. Y'all do realize that was sarcasm, right? Everybody pick up on that? Okay. Yeah. All right. So, again, we are to intercede and we are to lead our families towards God and godliness. I don't have time to, you could just make a note if you want to go back and look at Luke 11, that shorter account of the Lord's Prayer, the disciples come, Lord, teach me to pray, or teach us to pray. He gives them an example. And then go to John 17, the, the real Lord's Prayer, the high priestly prayer of the Lord. Again, I have manifested your name to those that you gave to me. Kings, I have man can, can you go before God and say, I have manifested your name to those that you entrusted into my care as their king? Okay. Wow, that's heavy. That's heavy. Now, all right, let's look at the third thing. We've we got to wrap up and we'll come back to it next week. The prophet. Jesus is our perfect prophet. He has spoken God's word to us. He has revealed God as the word incarnate, and he's called us to repentance and proclaim to us the promise of forgiveness. Now, we, we've talked about this many times. Let me, let me remind you, because remember the principle of the law and the gospel. Every command, every admonition, to be found in the Word of God functions as law. And we all fail to obey perfectly every time. Do you understand? Now, that's why we need the gospel. Because Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it quite as snow. Now, does that make us like, yeah, okay. Well, Jesus was perfect prophet, priest, and king. He's done everything. So I, I'm, you know, Give me the remote control, honey. Bring my paper here. You know, I can overdose on the evening news. Google that one. Now, yeah. yeah. no, I think there's that which we should legitimately pursue. A gospel-infused, informed, oriented, empowered pursuit. Okay? And so, unfortunately, far too often, you know one of my favorite Bible verses is Micah 2.11. What does Micah 2.11 say? If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would surely be the preacher for these, these people. Too many fathers don't know how to say no to their kids. Sometimes no is really a good answer. Or that's wrong. Or however... And so, we must speak the truth. We must speak the Word of God. We must proclaim the law and proclaim 
the gospel. We do not want to be prideful in regards to our performance. We don't want to be debilitated in regards to our performance. But we want to be gospel-informed and gospel-oriented. Let's look. I've, I've got two passages we're going to come back to next week. But if you would, go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 just for a moment as we close. Second Timothy, excuse me, cha- chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Chapter 2 is good too. You can read it if you want to on your own time. But chapter 3. Now, we cry out and we hate legalism and we hate moralism. We want to be gracious. We want to be gospel-centered. But I truly believe that there is a gospel empowerment to go and do. And so, to be sure, here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is speaking to young Timothy. I think the primary application is to those who serve as pastors. But I think it's a word that can be applied to kings of their home. And Paul wrote to Timothy, beginning in verse 10, You, however, young Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. What is he saying? I've set a holy and a godly example before you. You, you remember what I did, how I acted, what, what I said. My conduct reflected the truth and the power of the gospel, the truth of the Word of God, the witness of the Spirit. And so, living the life of the example of the godly king. Remember what I said about the king was supposed to write for himself a copy of the law In fact, Joshua reminded the entire nation as they entered into the promised land that they are to to take this word of the law and they're to meditate meditate on it day and night, that it is to be on their hearts forever. Again, Paul wrote to Timothy, verse 16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. What informs our kingship, our priesthood, our prophecy in in the home? It is the Word of God. We're formed by it to form others by it. Okay? There are times that we encourage with it, and there are times that we correct with it. We use both the law and gospel so that those within our home will be protected and so that those in our home will be prepared when they leave our homes so that they will know the ultimate prophet, priest, and king who is our Lord Jesus Christ. How should we think of these offices, of the patterns in regards to leadership and authority in the home? Because Christ has perfectly performed all the functions of the three Old Testament offices, can we be nonchalant in regards to our responsibilities. Or because Christ is the perfect husband who has robed his bride, the church, in 
in the robe of his perfect righteousness, is there nothing left for Christian husbands, wives, and families to nurture, pursue, and perfect? Let us look at family life in a way analogous to Paul's description of his pursuit in Philippians 4.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way. Indeed, we rest in the gospel. Thank God we rest in the gospel and we pursue the power and the implications of the gospel in every Thing we do. We press on in the power of God's grace. We seek to grow in holiness. We seek to portray and proclaim Christ in word and deed. We live securely in the knowledge of peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ while striving to grow through, towards robust maturity as individuals and families. Prayerfully, many of you have come a long way in this journey of grace. But I think all of us must soberly acknowledge that we have more to know and experience in and through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Indeed, let us rest in the assurance of His accomplishment on our behalf, but also let us in the fullness of the Spirit apply God's Word daily to our individual lives and to our families for the good of our souls, for the good of our families, for the good of the watching world, and for the glory of God and the advance of His kingdom. Prophets, priests, and kings. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is a sure word. It is a word in which you have worked in our hearts to save us, and we thank you for the power of the word and the spirit. We pray that you would so work in our hearts that you would incline us to obedience, that we would rejoice in our standing, while at the same time we would be repentant of our failings. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today and they simply don't know you as their Lord and Savior, they, they, they've, they've never laid claim to the benefits that you earned for us at the cross of Calvary. I pray that you would so work in their heart because we know that you're the one that causes us to believe. We ask that for all. Lord, and those of us that know you in the forgiveness of sin, we've been born again, Lord, so work in us, fill us with your spirit that we may honor you and we may cause all those we come in contact with to be blessed by your great truth, by your great power. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.